Join I Am A Watchman Ministries Managing Editor Joe Kerr with co-host Dylan Burroughs, bringing you a fascinating discussion regarding the importance of Bible prophecy and Christian living today as it relates to our responsibility as believers to be watchmen. This is A View From The Wall. Welcome to today's episode of A View From The Wall. I'm Dylan Burroughs here along with Managing Editor Joe Kerr from I Am A Watchman. And today we have as our special guest, Skip Heitzig. Skip ministers to over 15,000 people as senior pastor of Calvary Albuquerque. He reaches thousands around the world through his multimedia ministry, including a nationwide half-hour radio program called Connect With Skip Heitzig. He is the author of several books, including Define Normal, You Can Understand the Book of Revelation, and his latest book, Bloodline, Tracing God's Rescue Plan from Eden to Eternity. Skip, welcome to A View from the Wall. It is so good to be with you guys, and I love what you do. I love the concept, even in the title of your program. Well, thank you so much, Skip, and we're honored to have you with us here on A View from the Wall. But as we begin, we want to give you a chance to tell a little bit of the backstory of Bloodline. What is this Bloodline concept from the Bible all about that you talk about in your new book? Here's the idea. All 66 books of the Bible are tied together thematically. There's a what scholars have called a scarlet thread that runs from Genesis to Revelation. And since Jesus is called... In the book of Revelation, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, while we'd expect to see that truth then highlighted throughout the biblical text. And that's important because so many people have accused the Bible as being filled with just a bunch of myths, primitive truths, uh, old histories of tribal cultures. And so here you have a definite theme in a progressive revelation from beginning to end that's pretty staggering. Skip, you say that the bloodline runs all through Scripture, and the verse you just quoted, of course, references the first book of the Bible in the last book of the Bible, but you say one of the first references to redemption and one of the clearest pictures is in the book of Exodus. Why do you believe that? Well, Exodus is all about a group of uh, children of Israel, a group of slaves in the middle of the desert in Egypt, and they're making an exit from slavery. Well, before they go, and before God liberates them, he gives them an emblem that is going to mark their history from that point onward, and that is shed blood of an innocent victim. And that shed blood is placed on the lintels and doorposts of every home, so that the idea is deliverance through shed blood of an innocent victim is the benchmark, the hallmark of their being liberated. And because Christ in the New Testament is called, in 1 Corinthians uh, 5, Christ our Passover, and since Jesus celebrated the Passover with his disciples and inaugurated a new remembrance ritual when he said, do this in remembrance of me, and then because Jesus himself actually died on Passover, it only makes sense and clearly that the New Testament authors are saying, look, he is the fulfillment of that Old Testament thing. Well, that's powerful, and I know you have this idea of the scarlet thread of redemption that runs from Genesis to Revelation, and we find the verse that talks about this beginning of redemption in the last book of the Bible, specifically Revelation 13.8. Tell us a little bit about this passage and this idea of the scarlet thread. Yeah, so in Revelation 13.8, it's an interesting kind of a combination of ideas in that single verse. You know, it talks about the Antichrist being given authority over the people of the world to destroy them and persecute them.
But then it talks about Jesus, and he's called in that verse the Lamb that is slain from the foundation of the world. So the idea in that verse is that Jesus was fulfilling an eternal plan, an eternally anticipated plan by God. Uh, Paul says that we're chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. So just think of those two verses together. We're chosen in Christ before the foundation of the earth. Jesus is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And the verse is talking about the Antichrist that is going to prevail on the earth. So the point of that verse is that even though the Antichrist during the tribulation period will wreak havoc on the earth, be able to dominate humanity from that fleshly governmental standpoint, yet he will never be able to take away the salvation of God's elect because they were chosen before the foundation, and the Lamb in God's mind was planned to be slain from that point. Wow, that is so good, Skip. In the book, you talk about how God loves to restore people, and in the Bloodline video Mm -hmm. teaching series, you cover this in your teaching from Revelation 1 and 5, the lion is the lamb. Talk about Mm -hmm. that principle of restoration and what that tells us about God's nature. I've always been amazed that God loves classics. He likes to take broken, beat-up, bruised, damaged-by-time, scratched things, people, and then bring them back to life. It's the principle of restoration. So I kind of like it to this. If you're driving down the street and you've got a brand-new Chevy Cruze or even a Chevy Silverado and you're all stoked that you got that cool car, and up pulls a 1957 Chevy convertible, fully restored to its original beauty, harbor blue, white walls. It's like, wow. Now, that's a whole different class of Chevy. I mean, here you've got something that would be scrapped because of its antiquity, but it has been restored by somebody who sees the value and the potential. And my little life verse comes out of 1 Corinthians 1, where Paul said, God has chosen the foolish things of this world, the weak things of this world, the things the world would push aside. God chooses. So I believe God is into restoration. And the idea of the the lamb becoming the lion, you know, that basically is uh, two different titles of Jesus, depending on what coming you're talking about. The whole Bible can be summed up by saying it's about one person and two events. It's about Jesus Christ, that's the person. The two events are, number one, the first coming of Christ, number two, the second coming of Christ. The first coming to deal with sin, the second coming to rule and reign with those who have been cleansed from sin. So you get the lion and the lamb. He came, first of all, as the lamb of God. That's his first coming to take away the sin of the world. He's coming back as the lion of the tribe of Judah to take the title deed of the earth, Revelation chapter 5, assume control, and through that period of tribulation, purge the earth of sin Uh, so that by the end of it, while we get into the kingdom age, the lion rules from Mount Zion with a mighty roar. Well, that's such a great way to put it. And you talk about this a lot in your book. You have an entire chapter, chapter four of Bloodlines called The King is Coming, where you don't only go from the themes throughout Scripture, but you talk about this culmination of events that takes place when Jesus returns as king. We see him as servant and we see him as king. So for those who are out there today and you're maybe struggling in some way and thinking, yes, that all sounds great, but what about my problem now? I love that chapter, The King is Coming and He Will Make Right. 
right every wrong. So when we come back, we'll talk more about this, this new book, Bloodlines with Skip Heitzig. We'll be right back with more on A View from the Wall. From I Am a Watchman Ministries, here's today's I Am a Watchman Minute. The story of the prodigal is familiar and loved. But as wonderful as that story is, it falls short of communicating the love God has for you. In the story of the prodigal, the father waited for the son, but for you and me, God sent his son. In the story, the father showed his love by welcoming his son with open arms, but Jesus demonstrated his love by stretching out his arms on the cross. In the story, the father gives his son a ring, but believers today are promised the crown of eternal life. The story of the prodigal is wonderful, but it is merely a shadow of what Jesus has done and offers today. Jesus loves you and is coming soon. It's time to get ready to go home. Let I Am A Watchman resources help you learn about Him, live for Him, and be ready to meet Him. Be bold. Be faithful. Be a watchman. Iamawatchman.com Welcome back to A View from the Wall. We are here with Skip Heitzig, pastor of Calvary Albuquerque and author of the new book, Bloodlines. And in this segment, we want to get a little more personal. You've shared about the scarlet thread already, but what are some of the things you personally have learned from tracing the scarlet thread and writing this book for the people who are listening today? Well, you know, what I walked away with personally is that um, the Bible and Christianity is like unlike, I should say, any other religion or any other belief system. And, uh, for example, if I were to just to look at Islam, in Islam, one of the highest values in that religion is for a person to die for God, to be a martyr for God. They're, part of their concept of jihad is that, you know, when you reach martyr status, when you give your life for God, you know, you're such a holy, awesome person, and, and you get rewarded. That's their theology. But in Christianity, it's the exact opposite. The highest value isn't that man died for God, but that God came to die for man. He substituted his life to redeem us, to buy us, to purchase us, to make us his adopted child. So I walked away on a personal level of the idea that I'm adopted, and, and, and the lens by which I view God, and the, the lens by which God views me, uh, you know, as being precious enough to purchase at that cost, it just uh, it brought a whole new tenderness to my heart. That is amazing, Skib. Thank you so much for that. I love one other concept that you mentioned in the book. The blood is tied to the covenant, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, as Christ completed the new covenant with his death on the cross. But you mentioned the key word embroidered on the new covenant isn't do, but done. What did you mean by that? Uh, Jesus' words on the cross, one word, to telestai. It is finished. It is done. Uh, it's, it's over. You can't add to it. It's a, it's, a very, it's a word pregnant with meaning. It was a word that they used in the marketplace when you wanted to buy something, and if you could pay for it all, you would be given sometimes a little notice that would say to telestai, or you have paid it in full. Uh, also, a servant, when he completed a task, he could go to his master and say to telestai, it's finished, it's done, I've, I've done everything you wanted me to do. So there on the cross, Jesus did what you and I could never do. We could never live the perfect life. We could never pay for our sins unless it was an eternal hell for eternity. So the idea of substitution 
is the idea of the new covenant. Jeremiah 31, God said, I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel, not like the one in the past, not like the law of Moses, where they have to keep these things. I'm going to do something for them. And so um, when you go to the cross and you hear him say it is finished, it means it's paid in full. The work of redemption is completed. You can't add a thing to it. If you try to add to it, you're just insulting the one who already did it. Oh, that's a great way to put it. And I want to switch topics on you here a little bit, because there are people who look at Christianity uh, from a negative aspect, and they talk about you know Christian martyrs throughout history, animal sacrifices, Christ on the cross, this idea that Christianity is a bloody religion. How do you respond to people who have that viewpoint or maybe come to Christianity with that perspective? Well, I agree with that, and that's a great conversation. I love having this conversation, because it is a bloody religion, but hmm. when they, they say, I don't get the whole idea of why something or someone has to die, and that is simply betraying uh, an ignorance of the idea of how bad our sin is. So when you don't realize that your offense is as bad as the Bible says it is, that it's enough to keep you separated forever from him unless something does uh, happen, uh, like a sacrifice or a person named Jesus, then if you, know, you're, if you don't see that you need a saving, you're not going to ask for a Savior. It's only a person drowning in the ocean who's going to have his arm up. And a lot, the problem is we are drowning in sin, but we don't really realize it's that bad. So the ancient peoples realized that there is a gulf of separation between God and humanity. So the Old Testament sacrificial system was simply temporarily covering what the New Testament in one event would complete and eradicate. Only God could complete entire history in one event. That's so good. Skip, we minister to watchmen around the world. They watch, warn, witness, and talk about the return of Christ and the message of the gospel in these last days. Specifically speaking to that group of people, what should watchmen take away from your book, The Bloodline? Well, I'll tell you what, we should be watching for a substitute for the substitute. I want to explain that. Jesus was a substitutionary atonement that somebody did something for us that we could never do. But there are substitute religions for that. And there are different belief systems. They they even kind of get inculcated into Christian movements. And um, it's the idea that we can somehow either work our way to God or work our way into a more favorable status with God. And that's just very dangerous. I think you could take all the world's religions, and put them into one of two categories. All world religions are either one of two kinds. Number one, there is the religion of human achievement. This is what I do. This is what I'm adding. And I even found in the, in the Christian religion I grew up in, it was all about the works that I do to garner God's favor. And then the other classification is the religion of divine accomplishment. There's either human achievement or divine accomplishment. The gospel message is all about divine accomplishment. And so it renders us in a place of not empowerment as much as humility. 
You know, I'm I'm humble before this God who did that for me. I'm I'm brought low before this God who condigned to give me a favored status as an adopted child into his family. So it it reduces pride. It doesn't elevate pride. And um, I, I just think that there's a lot of other systems and beliefs and ideologies that compete with that pure, simple gospel. That doesn't mean that we don't become empowered by that. We do. But the cross levels us. It shows us, first of all, when I look at the cross, it shows me what sin does. My sin did that. That's how bad it was that, that Jesus had to die, suffer, bleed for hours, this perfect Son of God. So that, that just deflates me and uh, makes me grateful and motivates me at, at a whole different level than just trying to do something to get favor with God. Well, I love that word of encouragement for our watchmen listening today. And we hope you're enjoying our conversation with Skip Heitzig. Stay with us. We'll be right back with more on A View from the Wall. Wars, rumors of wars, pestilence, disasters, violence, immorality, and political corruption. Is there any hope? The answer is yes. But how can you know? Plan now to attend the Hope for Our Times Conference June 28th through the 30th in Indian Wells with over 15 world-class speakers, including Pastor James Cadiz. We're not of those people that are going to be overtaken like a thief. Jan Markell. Things are all falling in place, and that's the good news. Dr. David Reagan. God has used this nation, our wealth, and our ingenuity to put the gospel out all over the world. And Pastor Jack Hibbs. When you get together with the Lord in these last days, expect Him to speak to you. Reserve your spot for this powerful conference, the Hope for Our Times Conference, June 28th through the 30th in Indian Wells. Log on to HopeForOurTimes.com. A limited number of rooms at the Hyatt Regency have been reserved at a special rate. So log on today at HopeForOurTimes.com. HopeForOurTimes.com. Welcome back to View from the Wall. We're here with Skip Heising, pastor of Calvary Albuquerque and author of the new book, Bloodline, that we've been talking about today. And Skip, one aspect of the book that really caught my attention as I looked at it, and that is the story of Joseph. There are so many parallels between the life of Joseph, what he went through in this case study of God working together, everything for the good of those he loves, as Romans 8, 28 talks about in the New Testament. Tell us a little bit about the story of Joseph and connect it with the, the broader theme that we see in the book Bloodlines. Yeah, Joseph is such a great story because, uh, you know, he's sort of like this naive kid who has dreams and has this piece of clothing that his brothers are jealous about him and his status, and yet he has these dreams that, you know, if, if anybody else you would think was in this position of being uh, favored and being um, hated by their brothers, they would not share the dreams they had. But Joseph did. You know, he said, look, I had, I had this crazy dream, and, and um, there were a sun and the moon and the stars, and the sun and the moon and all the stars bowed down to my star. And, you know, his dad rightly interpreted that. You think your mom and, and me and your brothers are all going to bow down to you? And then he had this one about the sheaves in the field bowing down. So what happens is this jealousy just grows. It foments into... Um, this bitter decision his brothers make to get rid of him in Egypt or sell him eventually to the Midianites is taken down to Egypt. He's placed in prison. 
But eventually, as time would happen, as God's providence would dictate, he becomes the second most powerful person in the world, second only to Pharaoh. So there's a lot of parallels. Um, first of all, nothing bad is spoken about Joseph in the entire Bible. Very, very few people could that be said of. Daniel is one and Joseph is the other. In, in the Old Testament, nothing negative is, is shared about their life. Uh, Joseph was sold by his brothers or rejected by his own brothers, his Jewish brethren, eventually. And then he is falsely accused. He's accused for something he did not do. And then he's also not recognized when he comes to his brothers and he's speaking to them. They don't recognize him. It's only the second time they meet with him that he reveals himself to them. It's very interesting because... Jesus was not recognized by his Jewish brethren. He came to his own. His own did not receive him. He will be recognized when he comes the second time. They will mourn for him whom they have pierced. They'll look upon him as their only son. So, like Jesus, falsely accused, sold by brethren, not recognized, will be recognized the second time. So as we look at the life of Joseph, we see so many parallels like you talked about. But going to one other chapter in your book, there's this idea of one king to rule them all. And it sounds like something out of a, a movie you might see, Lord of the Rings or something along those lines. But one king to rule them all. Tell us a little bit about this concept that we see in your book, Bloodline, where everything is headed in terms of eternal destiny. Yeah, the idea of, of the kingship of Messiah was central to Judaism. They always anticipated in their future, some emancipator, some liberator, some savior. The only problem is they didn't see it as saving from sin. They saw it as saving from kind of a temporary oppression of whatever oppressor was ruling their land at the time. In the case of Christ, who was the Romans, but they had been occupied before by Babylonians, Assyrians, um, a number of different groups came in and were their oppressors throughout time. So they always thought that the Messiah would be just a king deliverer, and he will, but he'll be more than that. So he came the first time to be the humble servant, to die in their place, to restore relationship with God, but then he promised to come again. If I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Where I am, there, there you may be with me. So the idea is that Jesus will come. He will come as king. He will come to rule and reign as the king of kings and lord of lords. But this goes all the way back to the book of Genesis, when Jacob is on his deathbed, and he gathers his kids around him, and he gives little summations of their lives, and then little kind of uh, pericopes, little uh, verbal statements that sum up their future. And when he gets to Judah, he says, Judah is a lion's whelp. And so he identifies Judah with the animal of a lion. And they became, that became their tribal standard later on, even in the wilderness march, where the tribe of Judah used this lion. So it was the lion of the tribe of Judah. But the Jacob prophecy to his sons is that the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. That's Genesis chapter 49. Well, the scepter is the right to rule or the kingship. The scepter will not depart from Judah until Shiloh comes. And the ancient rabbis always saw the word Shiloh as a messianic reference. The word Shiloh means the one to whom it belongs. So all of the rabbis from that time on began to look at that passage, and they said, okay, we understand then that the, 
the Messiah will come from the tribe of Judah. Then they eventually understood it through the line of David. And that's why when Jesus was born, even Herod's own advisors said, look, that goes right along with the ancient prophecies, that Jesus would be born in, in, in Bethlehem, etc., etc. So the idea was that they were looking for a king to come out of the tribe of Judah, and uh, the Messiah would come through that lineage, the ruler. The idea that one king would rule them all, all the different kings throughout the history of the nation of Israel, the ultimate king was through the lineage of David. So Jesus is called the son of David. So when the New Testament opens, it's this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, that's kingship, the son of Abraham, that's the Jewish stock. So it's been predicted, it's been anticipated that uh, the Messiah would come as the king of kings and lord of lords through that tribe and through that lineage. Skip, we think of things in terms of end times message with an emphasis on watchmen on the wall. Following the scarlet thread and tracing that through scripture from beginning to end, where does it end? Well, it ends at a glorious beginning, because Revelation chapter 5, the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the earth steps forward, and the announcement in heaven is, who is worthy to take the scroll and unloose the seals? John finds no one, and so he weeps out loud. Then there's a strong angel, or one of the elders, excuse me, who says, don't weep, for look, the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed to take the scroll and unloose the seals. When John looks to see the lion of Judah, he sees a lamb instead that had been slain. It looks as though it had been slain. So the lion is the lamb. That's the point of that passage. That's Jesus Christ coming as the lion, but because he came as the lamb, he has the right to rule. And so the king is coming, the king who died for our sins on the cross is coming, but not in the same way. Uh, though he's going to bear, I believe, the marks of crucifixion for all of eternity, he's going to come during the tribulation period, wrestling it from the Antichrist, from Satan, consigning Satan to a thousand years in a pit, ruling and reigning from Jerusalem for a thousand years in the kingdom age, and then on into the eternal state, the new Jerusalem, the new heavens, the new earth. So it's really not going to end. It's only going to end in a new beginning. Oh, this has been a fascinating conversation, and it's certainly more than we could pack into one episode, so we'll have to have you back again for another program sometime. But before we go, I want people to know that they can see the videos as well. Tell people where they can watch the videos of you talking about bloodlines. Well, they can go to skipheitzig.com. They can go to uh, connect with Skip, or they can go to our church website, calvaryabq.org. And all those websites, they can access that video. Well, you heard it here. The easiest one may be to repeat connectwithskip.com. You can pick up a copy of Bloodline. You can also check out the video teachings that are behind this book and find out more about Skip's ministry today. And finally, we want to encourage you to check out iamawatchman.com and subscribe to our email for all the latest. You can also subscribe to us on YouTube or our podcast on SoundCloud. And thank you again for joining us today. We look forward to joining you next time on A View from the Wall. A View from the Wall, in association with I Am a Watchman Ministries, exists to equip a worldwide audience with biblical truth, sharing it with others, and being prepared for Christ's imminent return. The team seeks to encourage, inspire, and equip watchmen for such a time as this. 
For information about the ministry and upcoming events, visit IamAWatchman.com. A View from the Wall is made possible by the team of dedicated pastors, editors, and the many contributors of I Am A Watchman Ministries. To support our efforts, give online at IamAWatchman.com and click on the Donate button. Thanks for listening, and join us again next time on A View from the Wall.